Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoy listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Thanks for listening today. I am talking about one of my favourite topics today, although I say that a lot. I have many favourite topics, but today we're talking about embodiment. Embodiment is liberation. You hear this word a lot, this embodiment word. So I want to talk about what it is, why it's important, how it connects us with our emotional life, our sexual life, how it brings liberation to us, how it builds resilience within us and how it is absolutely key to our personal growth, our healing, our connection with other people. So firstly, let's talk a little bit about what is embodiment and why does it matter? So embodiment is our ability to sense and be with our inner experience, to be present with our emotions and our feelings and be with them, to be present with the sensations that we are feeling inside of our body, to be aware of our body and what is going on on the inside. Our body is talking to us all the time but most of us only pay attention to our body when we have tension or illness or pain. So fundamentally embodiment ensures our survival, brings us to our attention pain. Pain is a necessary alarm bell for the body. And then we have pleasure, which is a resource for us. It is expansive energy. It helps us feel safe. So our body has these orientations towards pleasure towards pain and then also to sort of what's in the middle, benign, contentment, and that helps us survive and thrive in the world. So embodiment is feeling ourselves directly. Our body is the home that we live in. So feeling ourselves directly with no judgment, the inner critic is turned off. There are no belief systems filtering anything. We're just able to be. We're in the is phase, I am. It's the difference between beingness and doingness. We are mindful of our own life experience and we're present to life as it's happening in the moment. Where did uh, the body-mind split come from? Because it strikes me that it's this belief system, cultural belief system that has been created around body and mind being separate that seems to be what separated it out for us and we have favoured the mind over the body. I often talk about body-mind, one word. You would have heard me. I also write about it. I talk about it. It's all the one thing. 
do you know, so we have afferent, efferent information and efferent information that travels down the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. It goes from our brain to all our major organs in our body, goes down to our genitals. Uh, in women, it innervates the cervix. So there's 90% more afferent information, so coming from the organs to the brain, than there is more efferent information, which is brain down to the organs, 90% more. Our body picks up a lot more stuff in the nervous system a lot more quickly than our rational and logical brain does. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But back to the body-mind split. So this seemingly came about in the Industrial Revolution in the Cartesian split. So this belief system that our thoughts are more powerful than our body and its sensations was the norm and that came about in the Industrial Revolution. In the 1800s, it is still the norm today. Let's just pause on that for a moment and think about it because that's a lot and it happened a long time ago. It's a long time for a belief system. If you think of all the innovations and all the information that we know about the body, everything that we've learned through science, through medicine, uh, through, through physiotherapy, chiropractic, all the health, allied health professions that we have, that we still have this belief system 200 years later. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. So when we are embodied, we are able to sense and be with, be present with our emotions and our feelings. What's the difference between the two? Because they're often used interchangeably and they're not. So emotions begin before feelings. They're a lower level sensory event that's based in response to a biochemical change in our brain. So there can be lots of reasons that that happens. Our feelings are the sensory experience of our emotions and they begin in the neocortex. So the brain is interpreting the emotion and feelings are important for memory consolidation. What does this mean? So let's go back to that pain and pleasure orientation that I talked about. Feelings help us learn and remember what is good for us and what is not so good for us in the context of survival. So we orient toward pain, pleasure and benign, like okay feelings. So uh, as an example, I'm in the garden, I see some berries, I think, oh, they look really nice. I pick them, I eat them. They don't taste so great. Mm. So my sensation of taste says, oh, maybe these aren't so good for me. And that consolidates in my memory. Then maybe later on, I'm ill. My body-mind remembers that as well. So there's this memory consolidation of those berries in the garden will make you sick. Do not eat them again. Conversely, when I think about gelato, which is one of my favourite things to eat, uh, there's a shop in Italy in a town called Spoleto in Italy, which is where I got married. And this particular gelato shop is only pistachio flavours. I think it has about 18 or 20 pistachio flavours. So I love going in there. And when I think about that shop right now, what I notice in my body is I have this very warm feeling in my chest, in my heart, 
it's a little fluttery and a little kind of buzzy in a pleasurable way. It's evoking happy memories for me because that gelato tastes really good and who would have thought you'd have so many pistachio flavours. But it also reminds me it's coupled with other good memories I have of being in that town because we go back there a bit. So this coupling happens to us. Good events and bad events get coupled together. Emotions, good emotions, bad emotions get coupled together. And this is something that we talk about a lot in the trauma resolution world. So a little example of how the coupling can go a little pear-shaped. Uh, and I'll give you a personal example. Maybe um, I think it was when I was about five or six years old. I remember going to a birthday party, eating a Barney banana ice cream at the end of it. Uh, got home, vomited, clearly ate too much junk food. My, my body, my body mind consolidated that memory. The last thing I ate was the Barney banana ice cream. I did not eat banana, a banana or anything banana flavoured for the next five years. I literally couldn't go near it. I'd smell it, it, the taste of it. It made me feel nauseous because my body mind had interpreted that taste sensation of banana with illness. So it created a pain memory around it. This is how it happens. So it all gets uh, embedded in our implicit memory, which is our unconscious memory. We remember feelings, sensations, but sometimes it gets it a little wrong in the coupling and that's the Barney Banana scenario. So our body is changing all the time. It's flexible, it's neuroplastic. We can have these old embodied memories in our implicit memory, but we can change them as well. And embodiment matters. Like why is it important? It's important because we can be more present to life. We have more resilience. It's great for our physical and mental health. And it connects us with our pleasure, our sensual and sexual pleasure, our, our capacity to be with our feelings of pleasure, the wiring in our nervous system, pleasure orientation of what connects us to our sexual pleasure and helps us be with it. So, so many people get stuck in their head and then as they get older or the rhythms of their desire change throughout their lifetime, they wonder why their arousal doesn't seem to work in the same way, why um, they're not connected to their partner, you know, their intimate life is suffering, maybe they can't experience orgasm anymore. The key is embodiment. It's connecting to the sensation of pleasure in your body, using your breath, your attention, your focus, being able to be with it. So often our trauma memories, our stress memories get in the way of all of that, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. So, so I guess what I'm saying, just to sort of consolidate everything I've talked about so far, what you experience in life, it leaves a trace in your system. It has an embodied memory in your implicit memory in your system. The really important thing to understand is you can't think your way out of this stuff. It has to be that the healing happens in our capacity to be embodied. 
So let's go back to that statement I just made before, what we experience in life leaves a trace in our nervous system, in our body. So strong sensations and emotions from our adverse experiences, the pain experiences, or in my case of the Barney Banana, too much pleasure that caused pain, they, they have greater weight in our system. So our bodily sensations like a racing heart, you know, the muscles in our chest tightening and gripping and uh, a knot in our gut or just that uh, feeling, these become interoceptive memories. So interoception is the, is the skill of being able to be with and be present to our feelings, sensations, emotions. So interoceptive memories are stored in our implicit memory, which is in our unconscious. So it's out of conscious awareness. And they profoundly impact and become a reference point for all of our new experiences in life. So they create a map in our body that helps us navigate the world. Because remember I talked about the memory consolidation. We need to remember what's painful, what's good for us so that we can survive. That map can get organised against all our hurtful experiences in life. And this can sometimes produce, think of it as an unreliable conversation in your body. So sensory information, it's harder to pinpoint like the, the sensation on the inside. It takes a lot of practice, but you can get there. It's harder to pinpoint than, say, the sensory information that you would experience on your skin. We can, We are more able to be more nuanced and discerning and more precise about describing that feeling, for example, of a sensation on our skin. In the face of stress, we can generalise and assume how things are and will be. So sometimes we feel waves of strong sensations or strong feelings because they're putting us on the lookout for danger. And this map that we have, this map of the old territory, takes us to that old territory that we've experienced and sometimes the same fears and disappointments come up. When the map doesn't match what's happening, say, things can go a little pear-shaped. So something like excitement can get interpreted or misinterpreted as anxiety because remember excitement is high sympathetic arousal anxiety is high sympathetic arousal and sometimes our prediction system can get a little out of whack so this map this old map that you've got can send you in a direction to try and protect you to not feel certain feelings to avoid certain conversations for example just any situation where you would be vulnerable. And that map, you know, of your experiences, it's not only, obviously there's a lot of childhood experiences in there, things that happen in your family, just in your day-to-day life as a kid, in the playground, at school, out in the yard when you're a teenager, as a young adult, even, you know, the, you know, the map can be like car accidents and things like that that happen. When it comes to our emotional life in particular, we don't want that old map, particularly if it's around childhood experiences, making adult decisions for us. Because what can happen is, you know, it's the the old map, which is maybe the child's interpretation of the world and the embodied feelings of that, 
making decisions in our adult life and that's where things can go a little bit pear-shaped. That's where, you know, when we have been, when the map is telling us not to feel our anger. So think about cultural conditioning that we experience around anger, particularly when we're younger. No one wants to see angry women. No one lets men be sad, you know, be more feminine. That signals danger in the body on both sides to be like that. So that old map can stop us from feeling those feelings that will shut us down and it's so quick because it's unconscious that like our conscious mind is not discerning it's just not aware of it and this is why embodiment practices and learning to sense that helpful because that's how you repair you can't think your way out of this you have to go into the body to re-pattern and we, you know, we limit ourselves. So just for example, so many of us, you know, we have so many passions, yearnings, desires, goals, and we self-sabotage ourselves from wanting them or we just put them off because we think we're not enough. We think we don't deserve them. We think that we have to wait for something to happen before we can have permission to pursue a goal. And that's shame. Right, that's that cultural conditioning, that shame that says to us, you're not enough, you don't deserve it, you should not be doing this. So even that cultural messaging that we receive can impact on our map as well. And that just limits us from having the relationships we want, connecting with the people that we want to connect with. You know, sometimes... I think of the old map that I had that I took a long time busting up in my late 30s, early 40s, like wanting to reach out and connect and collaborate with other people at work who I maybe admired, uh, who worked in a similar space to me and think, oh, God, why would they want to talk to me? I'm just, I'm just Kelly. You know, so just busting that up and then and going out there and putting it out there and I had to bust up belief systems around not being deserving or worthy of, working with people, collaborating with them, which I did. And now, you know, I put it out there and sometimes people come back and like, yeah, I'd love to do a podcast with you or I'd love to be interviewed by you or I'd love to work on this with you. And sometimes you hear nothing and and I'm totally okay with that. 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have been, probably would have felt really rejected by it. Now, here's the interesting thing when it comes to doing the repair work. And this is where somatic work is really important. So somatic psychotherapy, somatic experiencing, going into the body, learning the skill of interoception, learning to sense pleasure, learning to be present, all of these things. This is what I do in my work. Most of the people that I interview that work somatically do the same thing. So I find sometimes people come to me and they want to do some deep inner work on themselves. Fantastic. Um, here's my story. Stories are great and they deserve to be shared, but sometimes the thing that you think is derailing you is not the thing at all. Often we, we think it's something big that happens to us and that may not necessarily be the case. That has certainly been my, my experience in my own somatic experiencing work on myself. I'm often surprised at undoing the neural wiring what has has been in the way for example 
I had a crazy shoulder for a long time. My left shoulder was a bit sore and this has been going on for many years. I know some of you listening who know me well have travelled with me overseas maybe and I had a lot of hip and shoulder issues in my 20s. I thought it was from running. I thought it was maybe you know, a hip problem that I had. Couldn't quite work it out. So um, I was doing some work, some somatic experiencing work, did on a car accident I was in when I was nine with my mum. Pretty pretty decent accident. We got T-boned by another car, but my mum had a pretty tough car. This was the late 70s. And we were fine. Got out, walked away, both fine. Other person's car, not so much. Uh, when I was doing work on this accident, what I found, I thought my shoulder, which was slightly higher on the left side, was from years of carrying a school bag on the right. Hmm, turns out this was not the case. It was from this car accident. So I, as I was doing this practice uh, with one of my teachers, myself, I had stuck flight energy in my left hip and shoulder. I needed to get out and move after that accident. Couldn't because it happened on the highway. My mom said, don't get out of the car. It's dangerous. Our car was okay. She could drive away. So she you know, got out, took the other person's details. They called a tow truck. We went home. My little body didn't get out, didn't get to release it. You know, fast forward 38 years, 36 years, whatever. I'm retracing this in this session there was all this stuck flight energy in there. And when I let it go, and I'm not going to go into the process because it'll take forever to talk about it, there was a lot of pain in my shoulder after uh, that night. I now have straight flat shoulders. For the first time in 40 years, my left shoulder is sitting properly back in, the, in position and my shoulders are even. It's taken a little bit of of wiring to a bit of massage, quite a bit of body work because the whole left side of the back and the hip had to readjust. I have spent thousands of dollars on chiropractor, osteopath, massage, you name it, trying to work out. I do Pilates really regularly. It was from the car accident. This is why I'm saying to you it's not often what we think it is and sometimes you know, I didn't think anything big happened then. It can happen in a microsecond. When we are learning from an embodied perspective and we are rewiring these old patterns so the body undoes the old wiring and rewires, it's not a linear process, it's a systemic process and what it does is it reorganizes our nervous system. It's, it's not about the cause or the story of your patterning or wounding. It's just the reorganization that goes on. It feels different on the inside. That's the best way I can describe it. I always feel more steady, more grounded after I do somatic work on myself. This is certainly the experience of when I'm working with clients. They feel more steady, more grounded, they have more capacity in their nervous system, that's that sort of spaciness and calmness, more capacity to be with their emotions, they're more able to witness themselves. Oh, 
the triggers aren't as big. They're not as reactive. They feel the trigger. They've got a bit of time in there. They're less reactive. They're more able to be with it and, and create a different conversation, a different interaction. This is phenomenally helpful for our relationships with everyone in our life. So our nervous system does this reorganization, this repatterning through an embodied experience. So I'm sure you're hearing all this and you're like, oh, that's interesting. When you go through this work and you do it, it's not a like, oh yeah, I get that, like in your head. It's a, oh, I get it. So you can't see me, but what just I just did is I was leaning forward and I went, oh yeah, I get it. And then I sat back in my chair. You might have heard the chair creak a bit. And, oh, I get it. And that's the experience from an embodiment perspective. Like when we are undoing this old wiring, when we are um, rewiring, repatterning, often there's surprise like, oh, that's what it was. But it's a feeling in your body. It's very hard for me to describe. Of course, all our sensory experience is different. But for me, often, you know, sometimes I'm feeling new feelings or I'm feeling, oh, this is new, haven't, or, or it's an old thing. Oh, I haven't felt this calm for a really long time. You can't do this work on your own. I mean, you can do a million vagus nerve exercises and they're really, really good. I'm not going to tell you don't do them because I think they're fantastic. But it's, that's not how you do this work. You know, trauma happens in the absence of a compassionate witness. Therefore, the reorganisation happens when our space is held for us and our person that we're working with, whether it's an SE person or an embodiment coach, is able to be a guide and ally for our nervous system, our body. They watch us. They pay attention. They let the body do its work, do its magic, because the body has this incredible capacity to heal. And that's why you can't think your way to healing. That's why you can't, you know, think your way out of feelings when you're activated. You can't think your way out of anger when you're activated. You can try and rationalize, but you just shut yourself down. Our autonomic nervous system is our defense system. It's three or four times faster than our logical brain. It has to be to keep us alive. That orientation towards pain and pleasure, super fast happens in our nervous system which is in our primal brain which is our unconscious the way that we access it is through the body through embodiment practices through the language of sensation our sensory experiences sensation is the language of the nervous system so just to kind of clarify with with stress you know high stress or trauma a neural pathway gets left behind when we have a stress or a trauma take place and it's like a, a scratch in a record. So we can be going along, the record can be turning and then we like hit the, the overcoupled stuff and record scratch can be activated and affect how we respond. And it's not a, it's not like a time thing. Our primal brain is not aware of time. But it will react the same way with the same level of intensity. And you, if, you, if you kind of reflect on this, you'll know this in your own body, but you will have observed it in other people. So when we work somatically, 
So the reason that we we can't think our way out of it is that, you know, this survival brain, the nervous system, it doesn't respond well to the thinking brain's strategies of disowning. So when we try and disown our emotions, like the nervous system doesn't respond well to that. Often it just makes it worse. And that's why bottom-up, you know, we talk about somatic work being bottom-up and then talk therapies more top-down. Bottom-up, we're working with the lower, the lower brain, the lower stuff. This it's integrating stress from the past so that you can feel, so that you can live more fully in the present. It's really hard to be with and appreciate life when you're living in the past, when your past script, your past map is running your life now. You, you become less sensitive to your triggers and when we're working somatically, we're just unwinding those old patterns, we update the map. This increases our capacity in our system. This is why embodiment is liberation. It helps us feel more at home in our body. We can explore life with greater curiosity. We are less reactive, so our triggers become our triggers don't go away. They just become easier to be with. Your inner compass gets clearer because you've got a new ne- new referencing system. You're able to more clearly orient to pain and pleasure. And I would say my experience, and I reckon everyone that I've worked with as well, we, you have less highs and less lows and you have more periods of contentedness and you get totally okay with that and you actually enjoy those moments of contentedness we have better mental and physical health when we have disconnection from our emotions our feelings our sensations our body it causes health issues i'm going to talk about that more in another episode the old stories aren't running the show you're paying attention to your body There are a lot of people, I work with a lot of really smart switched on people whose brains work really, really fast. When you're able to be in your body and connect to your body, you pick up so much more information than you do than when you're just being in your head. We have greater inner resilience and we have more openness and more trust. And our adult selves are making choices in our lives around our relationships, our sexual life, our sensual life. And that just deepens and creates a richness to your relationships. It improves your intimacy and your capacity to be vulnerable in your relationships. I think is just gold. Remember your intimacy is is not about what you're doing physically, sexually with each other. It's a, your ability to communicate openly, honestly, about what you're feeling and what you want and your desires and what you need. And when you can do all of that, it's very empowering. Life is, is good. It's very empowering. We have clearer conversations. We're so much more compassionate with each other. It's, it's humbling 
to be able to be with your body and be with your own inner experience. So humbling and you're so much more skilled and adept at being with others and their experience of life and showing them compassion and kindness. And I think that leads to a better society all around. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast today. If you have enjoyed this podcast, leave it a five-star review so other people can get to listen to it. Thanks for listening and have a great week.